0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's the first Monday of October, the 5th. I'm Nyla Voodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The State Department has announced its lowest cap on refugees in 40 years. Plus, how the virus is controlling us rather than the other way around. First, though, today's one big thing, what we don't know about President Trump's health. Jonathan Swan is a political reporter for Axios, and he's been trying to figure out what the actual state of President Trump's health is. Jonathan, we're talking on Sunday evening, actually, and we just found out that former Vice President Biden has again tested negative. But at this time, what are we hearing about President Trump's health?
1: I'd like to believe what the doctors told us today. They gave us a much more detailed timeline. Late Friday morning when I returned to the bedside, president had a high fever and his oxygen saturation was transiently dipping below 94%. I recommended the president we try some supplemental oxygen, see how he'd respond. Part of this, which is really important to note, is that assuming he contracted the virus last week, week two is really crucial. And in some cases with people in the president's age group, the virus can become more severe in the second week. So they gave a much more sober perspective today. But it's not very encouraging. Really what you're being asked to accept is, OK, we lied to you on Friday and were deceptive on Saturday. But boy, you better believe us on Sunday.
0: Jonathan, I want to ask you what Elena Trin, our colleague, posed to Dr. Connolly, the president's physician.
1: He told us that the president was in great shape,
0: had been in good shape and fever free for the previous 24 hours. Minutes after your press conference, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows told reporters that the president's vitals were very concerning over the past 24 hours. Simple question for the American people. Whose statements about the president's
1: health should we believe? It's a fair question. It's it's not a biased partisan statement to just state the bold facts that we were misled, we were lied to, and it's been a very, very frustrating experience. What's next here? According to White House officials, we're probably going to see more cases. And then you've got a Trump campaign that is effectively on hold. We're seeing a new batch of polling which suggests that Vice President Joe Biden is moving further ahead of Donald Trump after the debate. And then you've got the Supreme Court hearings where, based on the polling anyway, many of the Republicans see this as maybe their last Supreme Court justice they'll get a chance to appoint in quite some time.
0: You said earlier you were frustrated. Do you think it's accurate to say that there are people within the White House who are just as frustrated and feeling like they're in the dark?
1: I've had conversations in the last 48 hours with White House staffers who are just incandescent with anger about the way this has been handled. They just feel like they're flying blind. And in fact, some staffers have described being ostracized or, or ridiculed if they're overly fastidious about mask wearing and social distancing. So there's been a laxadaisical culture of denial in there. And yeah, there's people who are angry and and very frustrated about it.
0: Jonathan Swan is a political reporter for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the new record low cap for refugees. Welcome back to Axios today. Last week, the State Department announced its plans to admit a new record low number of refugees into the country just 15,000 people. It's the smallest amount of refugees admitted into the U.S. since we established the resettlement program in 1980. We're dealing with the worst refugee crisis the world has seen. Suzanne akras Sahul is the founder and executive director of the Syrian Community Network. It's one of the many organizations in the U.S. that helps refugees when they come here. The Syrian Community Network works with 260 families in the Chicago area. Suzanne, what was your initial reaction when you heard about these cuts?
2: It's really disturbing and very sad to hear how our administration has been cutting the refugee program. The refugee program is a bipartisan program that is supported by both Democrats and Republicans.
0: So if we're thinking about the cap was at 18,000 this past year, what did the past year look like for you all with the Syrian community network with that already low number?
2: There were some families that did come in a small trickle when we were having a lot of families come in, donations were pouring in, people were helping. But when people see that there's not many new families coming in, the excitement kind of goes away and then the donations kind of go away. And so you have to work a little bit harder.
0: There's so much that's happened this year. Do you feel like a lot of people have forgotten about what refugees are going through?
2: Yes, I do. There are people still in camps, in a refugee camp. There's no opportunity to social distance. People have kind of forgotten that. For some families who are very vulnerable, coming to the United States really makes a difference in their lives. One family comes to mind, Ahmad. He resettled in 2016 to the United States. He had childhood polio. He's in a wheelchair. He used to work as a tailor in Syria, and now he's working as a tailor here in Chicago. And now he's sewing masks. The fact that he's disabled and he's working full-time is something that is very precious, and you're not going to find that in any other country.
0: The bottom line here is over the past three years, the Trump administration has cut the number of refugees allowed to come into the country by more than 80%. There are almost 80 million people displaced worldwide. During the pandemic, life in refugee camps is even more dangerous. So these cuts to the U.S. resettlement program come at a time when people need it the most. Suzanne Akaras Sahul is joining us from Chicago, where she's the founder and executive director of the Syrian Community Network. Just last week, nearly 300,000 more Americans tested positive for the coronavirus. That includes President Trump, the First Lady, and at least 15 other people within their immediate circle, not to mention hundreds of others who may have come in contact with the virus through them. Sam Baker is Axios' healthcare editor, and he's here with a reality check that it's more evident than ever the virus is the one in control.
3: We have never had this virus under control at any point. We know what it takes. We know what we need to do. This is a choice at this point. If you choose to not do the things that we know we're supposed to do, then this is what happens, but it's not inevitable. It's within our control and we're just choosing not to control it.
0: That might sound harsh, but if you look around the world, many other countries have done a better job of learning how to tackle the virus successfully. And almost 43,000 Americans are still diagnosed as being positive with COVID-19 every single day.
3: And that's about as well as we've ever done. There was a time when Anthony Fauci said he wanted to see the U.S. get below 10,000 cases a day heading into the winter months when people think it's going to get worse. And obviously, we're nowhere near being able to do that.
0: And that has a lot to do with the ways that we've decided to tackle the virus. In the White House and throughout America, people continue to gather indoors, go maskless and refuse to social distance, despite the proven effectiveness of those steps at stopping the spread of the droplets where the virus lives.
3: Testing is really the only thing the White House did in the whole suite of things that we're supposed to do to try to contain the virus. And I don't want to minimize the importance of testing. It is absolutely essential to getting this right. It just can't do the job alone.
0: To do the job, we need to fight the virus on its own terms. The bottom line is we can defeat the virus, but only if we put in the effort to do so.
3: We're obviously much smarter than this thing that doesn't even have a brain. We know what to do. We're in control if you think of it in terms of who has knowledge and tools. But if you don't use any of those things, the virus keeps spreading. People keep getting hospitalized. People keep dying.
0: Sam Baker is Axios' healthcare editor. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com, and you can always find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. And we'd love it if you have time to leave us a review. That makes it easier for other people to find our podcast. I'm Nyla Budu. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here
3: tomorrow morning.